In the book of Mark, chapter 1, um, if you have, depending on what version of the Bible uh, you are reading out of, um, let me tell you a little something. You may know this. Uh, I don't mean to insult your intelligence, but you may not realize exactly uh, what uh, is going on. Uh, but typically, if you are reading a King James Version of the Bible, you won't see this. Uh, but pretty much all the modern translations and all the publishers uh, do something when they are uh, laying out the text uh, for, um, for you. Uh, and you will notice um, if you have a modern translation, any of them, again, most any of them, NIV, ESV, pretty much any of the modern translations, um, it's already on the screen. I didn't ignore the highlighting in that verse unless you just want to know where the verbs are in that verse because uh, that's what I, I, I just copied off my computer screen and I had the verbs highlighted uh, as I was studying um, and, um, and that may confuse you because there's some of them that in English uh, are is not a verb. Uh, but the Greek word that is translated is so. Um, but uh, so ignore that. But you'll notice, uh, and this, and that is the, I believe that's the ESV version. Uh, you will notice that there is a space uh, between uh, the sections. And what that is, is that is the various paragraphs. If you were reading a typical book in English, uh, it's showing you where the paragraphs are. Uh, and again, I don't think there is a King James Version that does that. Uh, there may be, but I don't think so. Um, and even, let me just, again, I don't make commission off Bible sales, uh, but even if you are a staunch King James Version only person, cool, I don't have a problem with that. It's a great translation. 99% of the time, that's what I have as well. But I would suggest to you uh, that you pick up a cheap dollar store, wherever you can find one version, any version, ESV, NIV, any of the modern versions, so you can turn to it and see where these paragraphs are. Uh, because they help you to see a, what is the author's complete thought. Uh, because the verses and the chapter marks uh, don't always do it. Uh, sometimes they are, uh, the verses and chapter marks are put there so you and I can all get to the same page at one time. Uh, but the paragraph sections will help you to see um, where, what a complete thought is. And typically, uh, what I attempt to do uh, when I preach is to find a complete paragraph uh, because that contains the whole thought of the author and preach that whole paragraph. But as I studied this passage this morning uh, over the last few weeks and looked at it, uh, you can see uh, on the screen uh, that the first paragraph is verses 9 through 12. Uh, and that was what I worked on for uh, a good while in preparation. But the other thing that I would encourage you to do when you are reading and studying your Bible is don't just read verses 9, for example, 9 through 12. Read the verses before it to see what led up to it and read the verses after it to see what comes after it. Get the whole, again, context. And as I did that, uh, I realized uh, that just like any book, you, a paragraph, many times in a book, three or four paragraphs will all be part of a 
thought just kind of expanding each paragraph expands the thought just a little bit differently uh, and as I looked at this I realized that there are really uh, I believe four paragraphs uh, that Mark has here that lays out for us uh, after uh, as part of uh, the baptism of Christ uh, what came out of that and, and Jesus' uh, follow-up actions to being uh, baptized. What happened in and around his baptism are all part of one big story. And so this morning, uh, we're going to move real quickly. Uh, we'll be here till supper time uh, you know, for, and try to cover uh, four paragraphs here that lay out for us uh, the steps, if you will, uh, of a follower of Jesus Christ. What does it look like? What are the, what, what is, uh, what things happen uh, in a follower of God? And these are uh, pretty much in order. It's not uh, K&W where you get to pick one or the other. Uh, the first one leads to the second one. The second one leads to the third one. Uh, and so on. Uh, and so uh, that is uh, what we're going to be looking at today is, again, uh, all four uh, of these paragraphs that uh, lay out for us, uh, again, a faithful follower. Uh, most of you know by now that uh, I have been trying uh, to avoid uh, the use of the term Christian uh, for follower or disciple of Christ. Because again, everybody I meet is a Christian. Uh, you know, everybody I talk to, yeah, I, I'm a Christian, uh, but to be a follower of Christ, to be a follower of God, is a different, uh, different thing altogether. And we'll see that uh, laid out in these four paragraphs. Uh, one of the things you will notice, uh, and part of the reason that uh, approaching this text is, well, I told you last week, uh, Mark is a rapid-fire guy. One of the big words he uses is and. And if you look in the King James Version, in these uh, few verses we're going to look at, in verses uh, 9 through 15, uh, he uses the word and 12 times. I mean, and, 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 and. I mean, they're just rapid fire uh, that Jesus is moving through uh, a series uh, of events. And so, uh, as we look at this text, we're going to see that the life of a faithful follower involves some things. And uh, again, you can't pick and choose. Uh, these are not, uh, you know, well, I'll do this one and, and, and not that one. No. Uh, the whole package. Uh, the, the, this, these are the, uh, the, the pieces uh, of a faithful follower. The first one uh, that we see uh, is uh, almost, uh, you'll overlook it if you're not careful. Uh, Mark's Gospel... <clears throat> It's uh, easy sometimes uh, to overlook some things because he gives it to us so quick. We're moving from one event to the next, uh, and, and it's easy just to, to skip over something. And so uh, Mark begins uh, verse 9 uh, by saying, It came to pass, and you see that word and, uh, again, so he's just, you know, from one thing to another. Uh, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. So the first thing that we see about a faithful follower of God, uh, and, and that's what we would have to say Jesus Christ was. He was faithfully following uh, His Father. 
you know, time and time again, Jesus told uh, his audience, I'm here to do the will of the Father. Uh, I'm here to do the will of the Father. He just kept driving that truth home. And, and the first thing that is involved in doing the will of the Father is one that most of us, uh, is, is the hurdle that honestly uh, many times keeps us uh, from actually following the Father. Uh, and that is sacrifice. Uh, and, and I've tried to make these, uh, I haven't made these points uh, real long, just kind of one-word points. Let's just make them real simple and easy to remember uh, and, and to go back to. Sacrifice. Notice what it says. It says Jesus uh, came from Nazareth of Galilee. What, what is the significance of that statement? Again, easy uh, to jump right over and get right on into uh, the baptism uh, of Jesus Christ. Well, the significance is Jesus didn't have to leave Nazareth. Jesus didn't have to leave home. Nazareth was home. Nazareth was where he, he had, a, had his uh, job as a carpenter's son. It's, it's where uh, his friends were. It's where his family was. It's where home was. It's where comfort was. Wasn't nobody wanting to crucify Jesus at Nazareth? Yeah. Wasn't nobody wanting to stone Jesus at Nazareth? Wasn't anybody angry with Jesus in Nazareth? Everybody knew Jesus was just one of the crowd. He could have stayed in Nazareth and lived out his life uh, in Nazareth. But he chose to leave Nazareth. He chose uh, to come out. He was, again, he could have lived his life in Nazareth as just one of the crowd. He could have, uh, you know, let all those people out there who were going out into the wilderness uh, to see John. And remember that. The previous passage told us that John was out in the wilderness. Jesus leaves home to go to the wilderness. He, he leaves Ruth. He leaves comfort. He leaves food. He leaves, you know, he, he leaves everything that is normal for him to go out into the wilderness where John is. And, and so the first thing that uh, a follower of Jesus Christ, a follower, someone who is attempting to do the will of the Father, you, you have to accept the reality, you have to make up your mind that I am willing to sacrifice. I am willing to leave behind what I want to do. I'm willing to, to leave behind my desires and my plans. And I'm willing to follow whatever the will of God may be. It may not be going out into the wilderness. It may not be going on to the mission field to some foreign country. It, it may not be uh, submitting uh, and being willing, committing your life uh, to preach the gospel. It may be uh, simply going to the co-worker and, and, and witnessing to him about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever it is to be a follower of God, you can count on it will involve sacrifice. It will involve getting out of your comfort zone. It will involve doing some things, much like Moses, as Moses stood there before the, uh, the burning bush, and, and God says to him, go back uh, and speak to Pharaoh. Wasn't that Moses said? God, I don't speak so good. Yeah, uh, that's not what I'm comfortable doing. 
Yeah. I'd much rather herd sheep for you. I'd much rather, you know, wander in the wilderness for you. Yeah. I, I, I don't know about going back and talking to Pharaoh. That's not in my comfort zone. Jonah, go to Nineveh. No, I'm not going to Nineveh. That's not in my comfort zone. I don't like those people. Those people are mean and evil and wicked. I'd rather get on a ship and risk my life. Go the other direction. I don't want to go. <coughs> where? <coughs> where you send me? The rich young ruler? Yeah. Come follow me? Yeah, can't do that. Yeah, I want to do that. Listen, to be a follower of God, you can rest in I don't know what that sacrifice may be. I don't know how big it will be. But I can assure you that to follow God, you will not get to do it your way. You will have to sacrifice something. I don't know what it will be, how big it will be, but you at least have to be willing to sacrifice. And so Jesus, think about this for a moment. Jesus, as he made that journey from Nazareth out into the wilderness, do you, you, you understand that Jesus knows that he, he didn't have to make that journey? Jesus knows that by making that journey, going out and seeing John the Baptist, presenting himself to be baptized, entering into the public ministry field, presenting himself publicly, he knows the chain of events that he is setting off. He knows what's going to happen after his baptism. He knows the, you know, exactly how things are going to take place. You know, as we read this passage and see that after his baptism, he's led out into the wilderness, is tempted by Satan. Jesus knew that. He also knew that from there, he would continue, he would go into the, in, in, into town, he would heal people, he would raise people from the dead, he would teach people, he would call disciples, blah, blah, blah. But he knew that in three years, they rejected and crucified. He knew when he left Nazareth that it was going to cost him. I want you to understand this now. We walk around a lot of times telling people, and you've probably been told this yourself, oh, just follow Jesus, oh, just go, and everything will be all right. Well, it will be eventually. But in the meantime, it could get rough. It could get hard. Because following Jesus involves sacrifice. Always. Show me a person in the Bible. Show me one of the disciples. Show me one of the followers of Jesus. Show me one of the patriarchs. Who, show me one of the prophets who followed God who it didn't cost. Some it cost more than others. But they had to sacrifice. And so the question that we begin with this morning is that question. Is have we yielded ourselves to God so that he can use us? Have we made ourselves available and willing to sacrifice? Have we put ourselves in that position? Is it the burning desire of our heart? Jesus 
came from Nazareth. Yet in Nazareth, Jesus had, a, 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 as far as we know, there's no reason to believe that Jesus didn't have everything in Nazareth. Happy home, family, job, uh, neighbors, friends, you know, all the fond memories of growing up in Nazareth, you know, uh, you know playing on the swing set with his friends growing up. Yes, I believe Jesus played on the swing set with his friends. I believe he was a little boy. You know, he was born in a manger, he had to grow up, right? I, I believe he made mud pots. I just believe he turned the water into wine when he was done with it. You know, I just, you know, he just... He did all those things. He had all those memories. But he was willing to leave them behind and go be baptized and present himself and launch his mission, his ministry, publicly. Sacrifice. Second thing that is part of being a follower of God. It's not only a sacrifice, but a separation. Look at the rest of that verse. He left Nazareth, went out to meet John, and there he was baptized of John in the Jordan. Straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened. The word there that's translated as opened is literally torn open. He saw the heavens torn open. And the Spirit, like a dove, descending on him. Now there was a lot of debate over that passage. The Bible says Jesus saw the heavens open and the Spirit of God descending like a dove. We do not know if anyone else saw it. It doesn't say that. It says Jesus saw it. But what they did see for certain was Jesus presenting himself for baptism. Now, the question comes, why in the world did Jesus submit himself, present himself to be baptized? He wasn't baptized, being baptized. We're baptized as a sign of repentance. That's why we ask people to be baptized. That's why the Bible teaches baptism. It is a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of repentance. That's, uh, that, that's the symbol. Jesus didn't need that. But what the other sign of baptism is, is that when a person is baptized, when a person submits, they're also, not only are they showing the sign of repentance, of death, burial, and resurrection, but they are identifying with Christ. And so Christ was identifying, he was coming out and showing himself as being separate. He was showing himself uh, as being different. Baptism for you and I indicates a new direction in life. Baptism doesn't save, it doesn't change you, but it is a representative, it is a symbol. Same is true of the baptism of Jesus Christ. He was coming out, his baptism was him publicly saying to the world, here I am. We often, we talked about it a few weeks ago, we talked about the triumphal entry, Jesus riding into town, presenting himself. But the truth is, he actually presented himself several years earlier out in the wilderness when he came and said, I'm coming to be baptized. He said, I'm identifying with the ministry of John. John's been preaching to come out and to be different, to stop sin, to repent of your sin. He said, I'm identifying with that ministry. John had been proclaiming. John over and over. You know what John's major statement was? Time and time again, John had been preaching about the coming of the Messiah. So when Jesus comes and presents himself 
as a candidate to be baptized, he says, I am the Messiah, Jesus, uh, that John has been talking about. I'm, separate. I'm setting myself out as different. Yes, I, I came from Nazareth, but I'm not like everybody else in Nazareth. I came out here in the wilderness, but I'm not like everybody else in the wilderness. I'm different. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. He offered himself. Uh, and we see that he was immediately uh, accepted by the Father. And so the second piece of being um, a follower of God, it begins with sacrifice. The second step is separation. The Bible teaches us in the New Testament what? Come out from among them. All the old things have passed away. Be you a different creature. Be new. And so we are to be separated. That's what the word sanctified means. It means to be separated, to be set apart. And so Jesus tells us, models for us, the second element of being a follower of Christ. Not only do we have to be willing to sacrifice, we have to be willing to be separate, to be different from this world. Then the third thing that Jesus models for us here is sustenance. And I, and I labored over exactly what to call this point. I, 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 I you know, Carol told you it was probably 4 o'clock Friday afternoon when I finally sent her uh, the outline to put in the book. Well, the reason it took me to 4 o'clock Friday was that word. That word. I, I labored. I, I, if you go look beside my computer at home, there's a, I, I keep a little notebook, not, I don't know what it's called, a pad, whatever it is, and I've scribbled a thousand words. I've Googled words. I've looked up, I had the dictionary out. I've had the thesaurus out. I, man, I have labored over this word. And finally, this word came to sustenance. Now it may not be the word, it wasn't the word obviously that I thought of to start with. You know, I, I said, I, I've been working on this for a couple of weeks and it took me to Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock, Carol sending me a text are you ever going to send me an outline? I may not miss her being retired after all. Yeah. <laughs> No, without her, I mean, I'd ever, you know, she's what, you know, y'all don't know how many times I've preached because Carol made me, made me get her an outline. Uh, you know, but after, I found, I, I, the more I've thought about this, this word, look what, look what I'm talking about. Look in verse 10. Straightway, coming out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. Sustenance. Jesus' baptism involved a commission. Not just the heavens open, the dove, the, the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And then the following verse, when the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What qualifies, what equips a person to be a follower of God. It is the equipping, the energizing, the provision, the help, the guidance, the comfort, the assistance of the Holy Spirit. All those things. 
That's, a, that, that's where I finally came to the word sustenance. It's all of those things. You know, sustenance, human sustenance involves what? It involves water. It involves meat. It involves vegetable. It involves fruit. It involves oxygen. There's a lot of things involved in the sustenance of human life. Well, there's a lot of things involved in the sustenance of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And they all come from and through the Holy Spirit of God. If you're going to be a follower of God, sometimes you're going to need God, the Holy Spirit, to come along and be a comforter, to put His arm around you and say, it'll be all right. Sometimes you're going to need the Holy Spirit to come along and give you a good swift kick and say, keep going. I know that's not the most spiritual thing any preacher's ever said, but it's the truth. You ever, ever got a good swift kick from the Holy Spirit? You probably didn't, didn't recognize it. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit, when you're trying to follow God, sometimes you need the Holy Spirit to take you by the hand and say, come on, and lead you. Sometimes what I, what I find myself more often than not is not the Holy Spirit giving me by the hand and leading me, but the Holy Spirit way out here ahead of me and saying, hey, are you coming? And I'm going to need to guide me. What we have here is as Jesus comes forward to do the will of the Father, the Holy Spirit coming and resting on Him and empowering Him, equipping Him, energizing Him, guiding Him. In fact, we're going to get there in just a moment. The very next verse says that the Holy Spirit impaled, it drove Jesus out in the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. If you're going to be a follower of God, you got to do it with the leadership, the guidance, the comfort, all those things, the sustenance of the Holy Spirit. You've got to be commissioned. You've got to be empowered. You've got to be equipped. You, you've got to have those experiences. And, and, and sometimes they're dramatic, like the heavens open up, and sometimes they're just, again, a good swift kick. You better get going. The sustenance, the awareness of the commission and the equipping of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're going to be a follower of God, you can't do it on your own. You can try, but you will fall flat on your face. You won't get there. You'll never make an accomplishment. It was what, what got Jesus' submission brought him to this point where he was anointed, where the Spirit filled him and led him. And again, we're going to see it revealed to us in, in, in the next verse. But then we see not only that, we see the sanctioning. If you're going to be a follower of God, if you're going to be like Jesus, if you're willing to say, I'm here to do the will of the Father. If we say, let's, let me back up a minute. We're all the time talking about what would Jesus do? Right? You don't hear that as much as you did, but that's still a pretty good statement. Well, we do what Jesus would do. Jesus says, I'm here to do the will of God. Okay? We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to have to decide I'm here to do the will of God. You're going to be willing to do the will of the Father. You're going to be willing to sacrifice. You're going to be 
have the submission, the separation, be different. You've got to be, uh, have the sustenance, the encouragement of the Spirit. But then he says, we see the sanctioning. Look at verse 11. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Again, this is the stamp of approval, if you will, on the ministry of Jesus Christ. Again, the, the, the Holy Spirit brings with it the comforting uh, voice of the Father. That the Father says, that I, I approve of what you're doing. You are on the right track. You are going, you are following, you are doing the will of the Father, Jesus. And I'm satisfied. One of the, one of the greatest I hesitate to use this word, but I don't know of another one. One of the greatest feelings in the world is to be serving God, trying to do something. And in particular, like Christ, when pretty much everybody around you criticizes, rejects, despises, fights against you, but in your heart, to have that calm assurance, that voice of the Father that says, well done. Keep it up. You're on the right path. You are my child, and I am pleased. You are my child, and I'm satisfied. He had to sanction it. You know, you see things every now and then. I used to see this a lot. I remember growing up and watching wrestling. And they'd say it was sanctioned by the NWA. Those of you who are old enough, you remember that. Johnny Weaver and Wahoo and that crowd. The Bolo and the rest of them. Sanctioned by the NWA. What'd that mean? I mean, the NBA, the NWA had approved of it. They put their, they were behind it. That voice from heaven said, I'm sanctioning, I'm approving of what my son is doing. No greater feeling than to be pursuing God, to be pursuing his will, to be trying to do the will of the Father and have that calm assurance that the Father says, you did good. Everybody else may hate your guts. But I'm proud of you. Anybody in here ever had a parent say I'm proud of you? Isn't that a cool feeling? To have God the Father say, this is my son. My beloved son. Whom I am well pleased. He gives us those signs of approval. Man, you've got to have that to be a follower of God. You've got to have it. I'm telling you, I do anyway. And I think if you're honest, you do too. Because, man, it's hard sometimes to be a follower of God. In this world, the world, your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends, your family, man, they'll give you grief of all kinds for trying to be a follower of God. And, man, is it so empowering, so encouraging to be able to have the comfort of the Father saying, 
Just keep it up. Just keep it up. You are my child. And I am Good submission. Here we have that word and again. And immediately. Immediately. How's that for a real dose, a real kick in the teeth? I'm here to be baptized. The heavens open. The Spirit of God descends. The voice of the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately, the Spirit sends you out into the wilderness again. It was already in the wilderness. Send him further into the wilderness. Why? Well, Mark doesn't talk about it much. Mark kind of skips over the temptation of Christ. But we know from the other Gospels that the reason he went from there into the wilderness was because Satan was going to tempt him. The word there that says driveth is a very strong word. It's the same word that is used in John chapter 2 when it says that Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple. Impaled. Drove him out into the wilderness. Again, sent him out. Listen, servants typically are not led. Servants typically are driven or commanded to go. Think about it for a minute. Be honest. I'm not asking you to speak up. Just be honest. In your life of trying to follow God, how many times have you followed compared to how many times have you been driven? I'll be honest and tell you, I've been drove a lot more than I followed. I'll be honest and tell you, I'm not a real good follower. But I have been driven. I have been pointed. I have been commanded to go. Some of you here remember Melvin Curley, pastor before me. Melvin at one point pastored down in Fayetteville. My grandpa pastored in Red Springs at one point. I don't know what y'all know about that end of the world, but it's about this close to falling off the edge. And Melvin used to say, God only calls, I forgot, I think he said God calls down to about rock and hand. Beyond that, he sins. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I usually don't get called. I, if I get called, I miss the call. He usually has to sing it. He usually has to drive. A follower of God submits himself to where he is commanded to go. Just like the wind guides the sailboat, the Spirit of God guides the follower. Guides the, guides the servant of God. You have submission. Then we're going to jump in with one that you may not have been expecting. This one wasn't hard. I told you I had trouble with the word sustenance. I didn't have trouble with this word. This word is surprise. 
Because it is not the way you and I would have wrote this story. John goes out, he preaches the gospel, preaches the coming of the Messiah, preaches the word of God. He's out leading people to repentance. Jesus leaves Nazareth, follows the God, follows, his, uh, follows the leadership of God, goes out. He goes out in the wilderness, submits himself for baptism. The heavens open up, the dove descends, and uh, the voice of God says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, I'm not asking you to be sacrilegious. But in your mind for just a moment, I'm going to pause here just one moment and pretend you don't know the rest of the story. Jesus has came out into the wilderness, presented himself for baptism. The heavens have opened. The dove is descended. The voice of God has proclaimed, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You write the next verse. You don't know the story. You write the next verse. What does your next verse sound like? And then Jesus ascended up into the heaven. be a cool way to finish up that story, wouldn't it? I'm going to put somebody on the spot. Now I want your next verse. You got one? If you don't, that's all right. You don't have one? I just thought you were creative. You would have... Archie, you got one? What would your next verse be after that? I gave you all the sermon. I said create a verse. Nobody did it. Oh, he went to Jerusalem to the temple and ascended to the throne and everybody worshipped. Is that what you said? Is that place that's clear? Surprise! It's not what God, it's not what the Spirit led him. The Spirit didn't lead him to the temple. The Spirit didn't lead him to Jerusalem. The Spirit led him further into the wilderness where guess who he met? Abraham? Moses? No! Satan! Heaven's open. Dove to sin. Voice from heaven. Satan. I want to tell you something about being a follower of God. You better be prepared for surprise. You better be prepared if you're going to follow God to meet Satan on the road. And he was there in the wilderness, it says, 40 days, tempted of Satan. It was not until Christ was anointed with the Holy Spirit 
It was not until after he was baptized. It was not until after his father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We don't see anything in Scripture that says that Jesus and Satan had any dealing with each other for the first 30 years of his life on earth. But the moment he presented himself for public ministry, immediately it says, that's a big lesson there for us if we're going to be followers of God. Some of us have in our mind, oh, if I follow God, if I'm really serving God, if I'm, Satan will leave me alone. <laughs> Show me anything in the Bible that would even remotely support that thought. Why do you think God told us, gave us the ability and reminded us, hey, you always have the authority to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Because he had a hunch we're going to run into him every now and then. Listen, the real warfare with the principalities and the powers only comes when we are lifted into the heavenlies where he is. Think about it. Surprise. But then look at this. This is beautiful. This word was no problem to choose. Serenity. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. The temptation of Satan is coupled with the assistance and the serenity of God. Anybody in here know anything at all about wild beast? Somebody name some wild beast for me. They'll do it loud because you know I can't hear. Wild boars. Wild boars. Lions. Tigers. Tigers, is that what you said? What else? Wild beast. Snakes. Tigers. Wild beast. Now, what typically do wild beasts do to all humans who invade their wilderness? <laughs> Simple enough, what you can. Eat them. Eat them. I happened to see a video yesterday online that said, This, it's funny that you, you, you came up with wild boar first, Tommy. The caption for this video was, This is why you don't mess with wild bulls. <laughs> they had him in a cage <laughs> for a minute. <laughs> Maybe not even a minute. This is why you don't mess with wild bulls. Let me just tell you, it didn't end it. Wild beasts, we named them typically, simply, eat individuals who stray into their wilderness.
Y'all see what I see? Y'all see anything about eating? Sounds to me like Jesus might have been playing fetch with the wild beast. Sounds to me like maybe the wild beast weren't so wild. Sounds to me like the wild beast might have been a little bit like Daniel's lines. When Jesus strayed into their wilderness, they got a bad dose of indigestion and suddenly wasn't hungry no more. And Jesus was just with them. They were just out in the wilderness having a good time together. But not only were the wild beasts with him, but the angels ministered to him. Let me tell you something about following God. And here's what scares a lot of people, is that last thing I just talked about, that surprise. If you're following God, you don't have to fear the wild beast, man. You don't have to fear the wild beasts because the angels minister to them. We had a rooster one time a couple years ago. Anybody ever had chickens? You're every now, not all of them, but every now and then you get a rooster that gets a little contrary. And we had one that He'd be out in the yard, and I'd go out in the yard, and he'd want to ever see him kind of turn around at you, kind of raise up the wing like that. Well, they say chickens can't fly. But if you apply a size 15 in just the right location, he'll fly all the way across my backyard. And he won't do that mess no more. Them lions and wild beasts, if they happen to growl, one of the angels would sit down. Because he had peace. So then, folks, there's a peace that comes from following God that passes all understanding. Even in the midst of the wild beast, for 40 days, ministered to by angels and alive on the Word of God. And in the last paragraph, verse 14, when it was all said and done, it says, Now after John was put in prison, now Jesus comes to Galilee. Archie, you was kind of right. You just was a little early. He just had to go to the wilderness first. Now he comes to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. If you are a follower of God, you will proclaim the good news of the gospel. 
do not even attempt to convince us that you are a follower of God if you are not telling people about the gospel and the need to repent. Don't even try. Don't even try. Look, very simple. That's his message. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled. It is now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. He didn't invite them to church. He told them they need to repent. To believe on the Messiah. And to be a father. You know why Jesus can call on people to be followers of the Messiah? To be followers of God? Because he himself was following the Father. I'm here to do the will of the Father. The other reason the church stinks today at inviting people to follow Jesus, you know why we're lousy at inviting people to follow Jesus? Because we are not following Jesus. Bow your heads. Are we following Jesus today? Are we following Him? A good sign of whether or not we're following Him is whether or not we are inviting people to follow Him. You're here this morning and you don't know Christ personally. You've never asked Him into your heart. You've never asked Him to save you. God's dealing with you this morning. Would you come? Let me show you from God's Word how you can know Him as your Savior. You hear this morning, you say, Oh, I know I'm a Christian. But are you following Him? Are you here to do the will of the Father? Would you come this morning and kneel and say, Lord, help me to do your will. I want to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I ask you that you would stir our hearts today. Lord, if there's one here, one online that doesn't know Christ personally, Lord, I pray that you would deal with them that they'd come this morning and ask Christ into their life. God, for those who would say, I am a believer, but I need to do the will of the Father. I need to be willing to sacrifice. I need to be willing to submit and do the will of the Father. God, let us fall on our face before you and make that commitment. For it's in Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen. Amen.